the painter Gino Perine lived in the port city of Trieste before and during the rise of Italian fascism. Born Jewish, he converted to Catholicism. When Nazi Germany occupied Trieste, Perrine was arrested and deported to a concentration camp in Germany, where he died. In this series, we encounter a life full of nuance and complications during the upheavals of the early 20th century. Episode 9, Commemorate Over 6 million Jews perished in the Holocaust, but the story of Jews in Italy differs considerably from those in other European countries. How so? Because 85% of Italy's Jews survived. But in a city like Trieste, which became the capital of the Third Reich's Adriatic coastland, the story is different. Over 1,500 Jews were deported from Trieste, including Gino Perrine, and fewer than 1% survived. Emil Bonzanigo, the region's Swiss consul, along with the Swiss government, worked hard to secure their fellow nationals' release. It failed. As we know, Perrine died in Bergen-Belsen. The news came as a shock to his family and friends. His friend and fellow artist Magda Springer was devastated. She never quite recovered from the pain of losing her beloved mentor. A funeral was held later for Perrine. Johann Ammer, the rector of the German Catholic Church in Trieste, remembered it, but there is no information on it. We don't even know whether his body was brought back to the city. More likely, it was left behind in a mass grave in Bergen-Belsen. It is possible that what Johann Ammer remembered is a different memorial that the church held in Trieste on the 20th anniversary of Perrine's death in 1964. Program notes from that service still exist. In it, rector Johannes Dietrich describes Gino as a friend, an artist, a Christian. Dietrich also references an El Cristo painting that Perrine had been commissioned to create for the church before he was arrested by the Gestapo. Around 18 months after Perrine's death, the local San Justo Gallery hosted a retrospective of his work. We do not know what paintings were included in this exhibition. But Trieste remembered him. His work and life left a mark on this city. Yet, it took another 40 years for Perrine's work to come to the attention of a larger and international audience. Another exhibition in Trieste? No, this time in New York City. It was actually the second time that some of Perrine's art was on display in the United States. Back in 1926, he had been one of 19 Italian artists selected to participate in the 25th International Exhibition of the Carnegie Institute in Pittsburgh. Did Perrine ever travel to the United States? No, just his work. But his two children immigrated to the United States in the 1920s. The New York show opened in 1989 at the Jewish Museum. It was called Gardens and Ghettos, the Art of Jewish Life in Italy. It featured two of Perrine's paintings. Did the Jewish community embrace Perrine despite the fact that he was a Catholic convert? It appears so. A review published in the New York Times mentions that the curator's goal was to highlight how a tiny Jewish population was able for over 2,000 years to sustain a culture that was both recognizably Jewish and distinctly Italian. Perrine's painting, Harmony in Red and White, was showcased in the exhibition's modern art section. It featured Fanny, his muse and lover. Gino had completed the work in 1914 after returning to Trieste from Munich. 
During this time, he lived with Fanny and her husband, Moisha, right? Yes, he did. Fanny, with her striking features, was his model for many paintings, including the woman in harmony in red and white. One curator of the New York exhibit said that it was difficult to detect nuances of an ethnic identity in Perrine's painting style, which was true for many of the modern artists in this show. I'm not surprised, because Perrine's aesthetic developed under the influences of his time when he was a student, first in Venice and later at the Art Academy in Munich. His portraits in particular pay homage to past masters like Chichen, Velázquez, and turn-of-the-century artists like John Singer Sargent. He also incorporated some of the avant-garde trends in vogue in Europe in the years before the First World War. Perrine developed a style of portraiture that especially engaged with symbolism, a movement that emphasized emotions and different psychological states. And it was this aspect of his work that was highlighted in New York's Jewish Museum. The catalog briefly mentions Perrine's Swiss citizenship and his death in Bergen-Belsen. But two important aspects of his life were not mentioned. His conversion to Catholicism when he was in his early 20s and that many of his paintings feature Christian sacred themes. A similar narrative, that is, one that foregrounds Gino's Jewish identity and his eventual death during the Holocaust, is also visible in the galleries at the Jewish Museum in Trieste. There, one of his self-portraits is on display. Fifteen years later, in 2003, Claudia Ragazzoni published a monograph dedicated to Perrin's complete oeuvre. She acknowledges the artist's multiple identities during the different periods of his life, as Austrian, Swiss, Italian, Jewish, and Catholic. Another decade passes. Then, in 2015, an exhibition in Trieste features Perrin's cosmopolitanism by displaying his 1920 painting of a man smoking a pipe. A man with a pipe? So why is this important? Seems like a pretty basic subject for a work of art. On one level, it is. But on the wall behind the man smoking a pipe... Green painted a map showing Italy and the Adriatic coast that reached further north to other countries. So... The map is not accidental. Gino created this painting shortly after the end of the First World War. The map may have reflected the geographical and cultural ambiguity that he and other German speakers in Trieste felt during this period. No longer citizens of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, but not yet integrated into the Kingdom of Italy. Fascinating. The comfort of a man smoking a pipe in his home, and yet... The uncertainty of politically contested geography. Perhaps Gino wondered where he is most at home. The 2015 exhibit, by the way, was organized by the province of Trieste. It featured the work of over 50 artists from the region and was on view at the city's cultural center for about two months. The curators wanted to demonstrate how progressive, rather than provincial, Trieste was as a cultural and artistic center in the first half of the 20th century. This would explain the title of the exhibition. The World is There, Modern Art in Trieste, 1910-1914. There! The city was cosmopolitan in the early 20th century, and Perrine was part of it. What is even more interesting for our story is that the world is there are Perrine's own words. He he penned them in 1926 in one of his surviving notebooks. I can just picture Gina working on the sketch of rooftops. And then, with a swift stroke, he draws an arrow across them and writes, The world is there in Trieste, 
his birthplace, the city for artists like him who have been trained in art capitals across Europe. Fast forward to the 2018 exhibit, Munich, Vienna, Trieste, Rome. It was on view at Trieste's Rivotella Museum. Susanna Gregorat, the curator, wanted to trace once again how Trieste during the Habsburg Empire was a cultural crossroads for modernist trends that had developed in Munich and Vienna, and how artists responded to the city's transformation when it became part of Italy after the First World War. The show included 60 of Perrine's drawings displayed in a room of their own. Yes, Perrine was equally skilled in the graphic arts. These posthumous exhibitions in New York and Trieste highlight what curators consider to be characteristically Perrine paintings, essentially those he completed during the first three decades of the 20th century. None of them featured his religious art. Maybe that will change now that we have untangled some of the complexities of Gino's life and art in nine episodes. Perhaps the Il Cristo painting hanging in the sacristy of a cottonwood church will get a second life. But we can't end here. We first need to mention another kind of memorial. Recall that the Munich, Vienna, Trieste, Rome exhibition opened 80 years after Mussolini had traveled to Trieste to proclaim his infamous racial laws that targeted Italy's Jews. Today, there is a small plaque to Gino Perrine as a victim of these anti-Semitic laws. But it is easy to miss. You can literally trample on it without noticing it. A stolperstein. I don't understand. A stumbling stone. Günther Demnig began this project in Germany in the 1990s. He created and then embedded inscribed brass plates into the sidewalks in front of the homes from where Jews had lived before they were deported to prisons and camps. The stumbling stone started in Berlin and now have spread across Europe. You can stumble across these stones everywhere Jews once lived before the Holocaust. In January 2018, Demnig traveled to Trieste to place the city's first stumbling stones in front of the Jewish synagogue and 13 former Jewish homes. The following year, on January 29th, Demnig returned to Trieste and laid a Stolperstein near the threshold of Gino Perrine's home on Via Torabianca 22. This is where Gino had been arrested by the Gestapo on April 15, 1944. These stumbling stones should cause passerbys to stop and engage with this history of loss and terror. To stumble and think, as Demnig put it. Stumble and think and dedicate five seconds to the lives of others. To stumble and think. Stumble and think. And dedicate five seconds to the lives of others. Like Gino Perrine, to stumble and think.